you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we've been walking through this section about the blessings we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, we're uh, finishing up verses 7 and 8 this morning and uh, making some headway. So this is good. This is exciting. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, I want to start reading with Ephesians chapter 1, uh, starting with verse 7 and uh, reading down through verse 10. Uh, Paul writes this, In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, which are in heaven and on earth. Let's just look at verse 7 and 8 again. Again, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and and insight. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through this passage, and uh, we were talking about God's amazing, incredible, overwhelming grace. And again, if you want to go back, and you can look at those studies. Uh, last week, we were specifically looking at this idea. Uh, verse 6, he begins to talk about the grace of God, which he graciously bestowed. And then in verse 7, uh, he, he kind of picks up that same theme, and he brings it into this grand, phenomenal thought that we have redemption and forgiveness according to the riches of God's grace. And isn't it an amazing thought? Again, there's this idea that it is, it is a forgiveness of past sins. In other words, the deeds that we have done, he has forgiven that, which is incredible. But not only has he forgiven us of the deeds of sin, he's also taken the power of sin in our life and has really broken the chains of the power of sin itself. In other words, it's not just that we have forgiveness of these deeds, but yet we're still chained to sin, which means it's going to keep producing deeds God himself has broken the power itself, which means you can actually live a triumphant, victorious life. In other words, you can live the the life that God is calling you to live. Why? Because it's not merely a forgiveness of deeds, the sins. It's It's a breaking free of the chains and the tyranny to sin itself, which means you don't have to keep on sinning. Oh, that's so encouraging. Amen. I agree. Now, all of that, according to Paul, he says, is according to the riches of his grace. And again, we were looking at this idea of the uh, superlative idea. And again, you know, we walk up to you and say, hey, how's your morning? And you say, oh, my morning is good, which is one of the worst superlatives ever created. Your morning should never be good from this point forward. Never have a good morning. Determine that you will not be good any longer because there are better words. You know, we have phantasmagorical. That is a far better word. Hey, how's your morning? It is fantastic. It is bodacious. It is absolutely tubular. This thing is rad. I mean, it is incredibly phenomenal. <clears throat> there are so many better options than good. Uh, I, I, I laugh every time I go to the grocery store, and, of course, the lady just kind of goes through her, you know, her uh, little routine, and she's asking everyone, hey, how's your day? Did you find everything Okay. And you know, she's like, hey, how's your day? And I'm like, it is so delightful, but I expect it to get better. And they don't know what to do because they're so used to hearing good, struggling through, I'm, I'm okay. So in my mind, if you're having a good day, you're really having a bad day. I mean, the only time I use the word good is when I'm having a horrible day. 
because I refuse to have horrible days. The worst I'm going to have is a good day. So if you hear me saying good, it's probably a bad day. But hey, so stop using good. Start finding better superlatives. All that being said, Paul is using this phenomenal superlative. Did you like that phenomenal superlative? He's using this phenomenal superlative in talking about God's grace. In other words, when, when Paul comes to God's grace, it's like he cannot contain himself. He looks at the reality of the grace of God, and the only way he knows how to describe the grace of God is to pull out a superlative. That the grace of God truly is amazing. The grace of God is phenomenal. The grace of God is incredible. It is tubular, bodacious, and rad. I don't know if we should use those words in talking about God's grace. It sounds like a diminishment. But, but you, you get this idea. And Paul says that according to the riches, according to the superlative reality of God's grace, which he just dumped upon you, we get to experience forgiveness of sins and redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is just an amazing thought. Just a great meditation. I just love that. And Paul says at the end of verse, uh, at the end of verse 7, oh sorry, the beginning of verse 8, he says that this, the riches of these grace, this superlative grace, has been lavished upon you. And again, that word lavish, sometimes it's translated abound, but let me give you the definition. I just, this is so neat to me. The word lavish has this idea of to shower upon or to provide something in abundance. In other words, in other words, it's to have more than enough. So the grace of God that is being dumped upon you, according to Paul, I have a short list here, is superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, over and above, it exceeds a fixed number of measure. It's to abound, to overflow, to furnish one so richly that he has abundance. That is the grace of God that has been dumped upon our life. And again, the, the illustration I gave last week was this idea of the Niagara waterfall. That here you go to Niagara Falls, and you just have this immense, you know, this outpouring of water. I mean, it is way more than enough. And if you took a cup of water and you went under the Niagara Falls, you would have, you would have plenty. You would have the, everything supplied plus some. And that is the idea of the grace of God. That when the grace of God is dumped upon your life, when the superlative reality of God's grace comes into our life, it's not, a, not, it's not a drop of grace. How does he just dump his grace upon our life? It's like a Niagara waterfall, lavished, abounding, poured out, more than you'll ever need. And that is the grace that you and I have to live out the calling that we have as believers. That is phenomenal. Now, Paul continues, uh, which is the study for this morning in verse 8. And he says, This grace which he lavished upon us is in all wisdom and insight. So you get this idea that here's God's grace that's being dumped out upon us and is being dumped out upon us in all wisdom and insight. And you could ask the question, well, for what? Or so what? Why, why, why should I receive the wisdom and the insight of God in my life? And Paul actually tells you, uh, in verse 9, he begins to talk about this idea of the mystery. Now, we're going to start looking at the mystery next week, so we'll leave that for next week. But isn't it interesting that there is this mystery, uh, this mystery that was hidden from ages and generations. In fact, all of the Old Testament is a declaration of this mystery, and yet it has always been hidden up to the point of Jesus Christ. And yet God, in his phenomenal, in his phenomenal grace, in this superlative grace, he has dumped forth this grace. He has lavished upon us, and he's given us all wisdom and insight in order to understand this mystery. Oh, that's phenomenal. Now, that word insight, 
uh, is interesting. It, the word insight in the Greek, it deals with thinking, the capacity for understanding, or the practical knowledge of that which concerns us. In other words, in the context, Paul says, here's this great mystery, and what has God done? In his overflow of grace, he has given you the capacity to understand. He's given you the thinking, the insight, the, the practical knowledge of this grand mystery. The word wisdom there, it's the Greek word as Sophia. It's interesting that the way the Greeks understood the word wisdom, uh, I'll, I'll just read this to you, but the way the Greeks understood it is it's a searching intellect. It's the answer to the eternal problems of life and death, God and the world, and time and eternity. How did the Greeks understand wisdom? Well, wisdom was the answer to all the big stuff. Uh, wisdom was the, it's, it's not just knowing facts and information. Uh, wisdom is the big kind of stuff. And the way the Greeks would often use it, it often had to do with skills, expertise, and learning. But if I could give a simple understanding, at least from the tenor of Scripture, the wisdom of God is being able to see life from God's perspective. It's gaining his insight, his perspective on my, on my life and my world. In fact, if you just look over a couple of verses down to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul uses that word wisdom again in verse 17. It's such a great passage, and we're eventually going to get there in a year or two. Uh, but in verse 17, uh, Paul makes a statement. He says, uh, Paul's praying for those in Ephesus, and he prays. He says that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, the word revelation there is this idea of a, it's like a curtain being pulled back. That what is behind the curtain is being revealed. And there, there's this unveiling. And again, the wisdom there, the Sophia, has this idea that the connotation is the deep things of God. So what Paul is praying for is that those in Ephesus would just have this, this unveiling of the deep things of God in the knowledge of Jesus. And the word knowledge there is not just facts, data, and information kind of stuff. The word knowledge has this idea of, hey, the experiential wrapping yourself in relationship and intimacy with Jesus. So here is God, and he's unveiling, he's pulling back this curtain on the deep things of God so that you would have a knowledge of him. Again, not facts, but that you would have a knowledge of him in the sense that you are experiencing and that you are literally getting wrapped up in relationship and intimacy with the living God. How phenomenal is that? And you realize that God has given you wisdom and insight. Why? For relationship's sake. That there is this mystery in our passage. If you take all that and come into our passage, there's this mystery that God is wanting to reveal to you. And what is the mystery? You'll never guess it. <laughs> Actually, you could guess it. It's Jesus. But this phenomenal mystery, and it's, it is beyond, it makes it sound funny to say it's beyond Jesus, Jesus is the, is the cornerstone, obviously. It's the, it's the pinnacle piece of this whole thing, but it is so massive. It is so rich. In fact, Sandy's going to be teaching next week. She doesn't know this yet. And I'm going to have her teach on the mystery because she has this, she is, she is mysterious. She knows the mystery so well. <laughs> but isn't it a phenomenal thought that here's this grand mystery and God has given you the ability. He's given you the capacity to understand. He's given you the reasoning to grab a hold of this phenomenal mystery, which is the fullness of Jesus Christ and his work and his activity and his, the fullness of life, which is what all the Old Testament is pointing to. 
Uh, again, you have this idea that when we're talking about knowledge and wisdom, you get this, you, you have to understand that wisdom is different than knowledge. Uh, knowledge is information. Uh, knowledge can be uh, facts and that kind of stuff. It's, 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 that, it's that kind of stuff. But wisdom is not just having facts and information. Wisdom is taking the knowledge and actually practically living this thing out. Uh, there's this really brilliant uh, Bible scholar, and the way that he described wisdom, uh, so, so Dan McConaughey says that wisdom is manifested or applied knowledge. That if you take the knowledge and you actually apply the knowledge, or the, the knowledge is fully manifested and it's actually being expressed, that itself is wisdom. That's a great definition. So again, there's this idea then, when we're talking about the wisdom of God, we're talking about gaining his perspective, gaining his thought process. It's, it's the deep things of God for your situation. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I desperately need the deep things of God in my life. I need his perspective. I need his wisdom and insight to live out today. I, I, I need the capacity to understand what he is doing. Somehow, I need a revelation of just the deep things of God in my life for today's situations. See, somehow, I, I need him and his phenomenal wisdom to be expressed so I know how to live today properly. And you realize that is available to us in Christ Jesus? So let me give you two application points. One is in the full context of this passage. <clears throat> in the context of this passage, here's this mystery that God is wanting to reveal to you. And according to his phenomenal grace, you realize that God has dumped, he has lavished his grace upon you. Why? Well, so that you would understand this mystery. So here's this mystery that needs to be understood, but the only way you're going to properly understand the mystery is when you've experienced the forgiveness and the redemption of your life, because it is only in the forgiveness and the redemption that the mystery even begins to make sense. Isn't it interesting that in our modern world, we have all these people, all these secular colleges that are studying Scripture, and yet they have no idea what Scripture says. But you have to recognize this is not an academic endeavor. This is a spiritual endeavor, and you must have the Spirit of God within you to unveil the deep things of God in this book. Which means, <clears throat> if there is this mystery, that I need to experience the forgiveness and the redemption of God in my life so that he can purify my life and fill me with his very spirit and his life so that I can experience and understand this knowledge, this, this mystery thing. And all of this, Paul says, is according to this overwhelming superlative grace of God which has been lavished on your life. That is so good to me. So in the context, then, one application point then is, hey, you need to understand this mystery. Somehow you've got to embrace Jesus. Somehow you've got to get your life all wrapped up in this thing. Well, how are you going to do it? Well, you can't. But the phenomenal grace of God has been lavished upon you so that you can. That you've experienced forgiveness and you've experienced redemption in Jesus Christ by the cross, by the outpouring, the shedding of his blood so that you can be changed and transformed on the inside, so that you do not have to continue living as you are. You can live a brand new life. In fact, we're going to look at your life and say, whoa, you're a brand new creature. Now, the only way we can describe your life is in creation kind of language, that you're a brand new creation, that you may look the same and smell the same, and you know, you're, all that, that, that's all true, but you are not the same. You are a completely different person. 
because of the work of Christ Jesus in your life. So, hey, would you begin to wrap your mind around this mystery? Hey, would you begin to get obsessed with the reality of Jesus Christ and let that begin to change how you live moment by moment by moment? Well, how are you going to do that? Oh, the grace of God in your life is doing that in you. So would you experience afresh this amazing grace that he has dumped upon us? But perhaps a second application point is not just for the sake of understanding this mystery, which we're going to get into, but there's this idea of we need the wisdom and the insight of God for daily living. That the only way we're going to make it through day by day by day is to have his wisdom and his insight. I don't know how unbelievers make it through every day. I really don't. In fact, actually, it makes sense to me why people get drunk. It totally does. Because life is hard. And if you're going through life and you're not a Christian, it totally makes sense why you turn to drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. Why? Because you need something just to stifle the craziness. You need to have a stupor just to get out of your world. You realize Christians are on a whole nother level. Why? We have the grace of God in our life. But even as a Christian, I need the wisdom and the insight of God to make it through this day. I, I, I've, I've quoted this verse probably almost every single Ephesians study that we've done. But 2 Peter 1.3, which I think is becoming one of my all-time favorite verses. But 2 Peter 1.3, Peter makes this phenomenal declaration that everything that we need for life and for godliness is found in one single place, Jesus So if you need something for life, if you need something for godliness, you only have to look in one place, Jesus. And get this, if you have Jesus, guess what? You already have all that you need for life and godliness. You don't have to look anywhere else. This is not Jesus plus something. This is just Jesus. And the moment you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. That is encouraging. Because I am dumb. But I can at least get my mind wrapped around that thing. I can get a hold of one thing. And as long as I get my mind wrapped around one thing, I'm doing good. Because in that one thing is all that I need for life and godliness. That is encouraging to me. Uh, James 1.3 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, this Sophia, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, generously, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you realize the promise in James is that, hey, if you recognize that in this life, if you're really needing wisdom and insight, all you've got to do is ask. And just as God is willing to put a Niagara and waterfall of grace upon your life, he is liberally, generously willing to dump forth his wisdom, his perspective, the deep things of himself in your life. And again, I don't know about you, but I desperately need that for daily living. That I, I do not want to face a single day in my own strength. I don't want to face a single day in my own wisdom because there's not much there. I need his wisdom. I need his insight. And what a phenomenal reality that we have as believers to actually get to walk in the fullness and the reality of his insight and his wisdom. See, what would it look like if I had his perspective for every single day? See, what if every conversation I entered into, I had his mind on that conversation? See, what, what if I could have his perspective? What if, what if I could see the deep things that he, that he is wanting to do in my family or in my finances or in my relationships, in my church or in my future or what, whatever it may be? See, what if I could gain his heart? What if I could have his mind and his perspective? Uh, we said this before in the early part of Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 3, but see, what if flat tires in the physical wasn't just flat tires? 
What if they were opportunities? What if God was doing something in the middle of my flat tires? See, what if I could gain his perspective when I have a flat tire? See, what if I had a medical problem and I didn't just see the medical problem? What if I had his perspective in the middle of it? What if I could gain his wisdom in it? See, I I need this for daily living. And what's interesting, I, I have found that in my problems and my situations and my circumstances and my trials, if Jesus becomes the focus in the middle of that, it's not that the problem goes away. It's just, it ceases, it just seems like it's less of a problem. I mean, I still have to deal with it. I mean, if I get a flat tire, I still have to fix a flat tire. But somehow, if I could gain God's perspective in the middle of my flat tire, it's like the flat tire ceases to be just a flat tire, and now it's an opportunity because I'm seeing something from a whole other perspective because he's unveiling something to me. I don't know if that makes sense. But I've just found that in every problem and every trial, the solution is not to focus on the problem. The solution is to focus on Jesus. And the more I focus on Jesus, it doesn't remove the problem. It just changes the problem. Uh, I love our staff meetings at Ellerslie. Uh, one, I love the people, so I love going to staff meetings. But uh, we're in staff meetings, and we're in the, we're in the middle of a situation, and inevitably, uh, I love what happens. Usually, Eric will say, okay, hey, let's get the Proverbs on the table. And, uh, of course, we all start thinking through Proverbs, and we start giving these Proverbs. Do you realize how phenomenal that is? Because here we are in the middle of a situation, and what we're really saying is we want God's wisdom for this situation. So what do we do? We, we bring God's wisdom, the Proverbs, into the situation. <clears throat> it's interesting, in the book of Proverbs, the word wisdom uh, shows up 50 times, and it's always in the feminine, which is awkward. <laughs> but if you understand language, you know, like if you ever took Spanish, you know, words are either masculine or feminine. And in the Hebrew, the word wisdom is feminine, which is why it always says she. Gain wisdom, for she is better than rubies and that kind of stuff. But you realize when it's talking about wisdom in the book of Proverbs, it's not talking about intellect. It's talking about a person whose name is Jesus. So again, it's awkward that it's a she, but again, it's, just, it's a language thing. You realize when we're talking about gaining the wisdom of God, we're not talking about getting something outside of God. We're talking about him. Having him. So there's no wonder in my mind that when you get into the book of Proverbs, it says, hey, go berserk, go after this thing. Just aggressively go after wisdom. Why? Because you need wisdom. Hey, when you're facing a trial and a circumstance, hey, you need the wisdom on the table. Why? Because you need the wisdom and the insight. You need the deep things of God. You need his perspective on this situation. Hey, don't just deal with the situation on your own. Deal with the situation from the mind of God himself. And of course, he's unveiled his wisdom in the book of Proverbs. It's the wisdom book. But let me just give you a few of these passages. I love, I love this idea of seeking after wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Which tells you if you're starting to shrink back from wisdom, you are an idiot. Thus saying the word of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 3.13, happy or blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Proverbs 4, starting with verse 5, says, get wisdom, get understanding. 
<clears throat> do not forget, nor turn away from the word, uh, words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, speaking of wisdom, for she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt wisdom, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. You realize that what, what the book of Proverbs is talking about is not just, hey, gain some intellect, get really smart, become like Dan McConaughey. That's not what it's saying, though you should become like Dan McConaughey. What the book of Proverbs is saying is, hey, go after Jesus. Go after the reality of God himself. Gain his heart. Gain his perspective. See his mind. Hey, gain the deep things of God for your life. Can I just freshly encourage all of us to go after wisdom and insight? God has this mystery that he's unveiling. Okay, we're going to talk about this next week. But in order to understand that mystery, you need wisdom and insight. But even beyond that, every single moment of every single day, if I'm going to live properly as a Christian, as a man of God, I need wisdom and insight. And it is a phenomenal reality that here is the grace of God, and it is being lavished, dumped, poured forth in all wisdom and insight, that he has given me the, the ability to think. He's given me the capacity to understand. He's given me the, the reasoning ability so that I could gain his heart and gain his mind and have his perspective and have the deep things of God for my life. And again, I desperately need that. Uh, well, next week, we're again, we're going to start looking at this mystery that has been unveiled. So my encouragement to you, if you want to study ahead, is begin to look at verse 9 and, and figure out what on earth is this mystery. And you realize you cannot understand this mystery properly without gaining the wisdom and the insight of God. So ask God for wisdom and insight to know his mystery. Because it's not something that he's purposely trying to hide from you. He is eagerly excited to unveil the mystery to you. It's going to be exciting. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, I'm just dumbfounded by the fact that it's not just you change my life and then send me to try to live out this thing on my own, but yet you give me all things that I need for life and for godliness. That this is not me trying in my own ability, in my own wisdom, in my own strength to live out the Christian life. That you, with a Niagara and waterfall of grace, have lavishly poured forth your life your grace, your enablement for me to live this thing. And beyond that, which I do not deserve, you have given me all wisdom and insight, that you have somehow given me the capacity to understand, that you are desperately longing to give me your perspective, your heart, for, for somehow this unveiling to take place of the deep things of God in my life so that I might fully embrace you, so that I might embrace the reality of this mystery and live accordingly Lord, I admit I need you today. I am desperate for you today. Lord, I, I, I am just, I'm hungering and thirsting. I, I desperately need your wisdom and your insight. And Lord, this isn't just a one-time request. I need this moment by moment by moment, day by day by day, year after year after year. And your promise in your word is if I would go after wisdom, if I would ask you, 
that you would lavishly, generously give it to me. Your book of wisdom, the Proverbs says that I am to aggressively go after wisdom, which is not just some mere intellect. It is the application of knowledge. I understand that, but it's, it's you. So, Lord, could you somehow breathe afresh upon our lives, and may we aggressively go after wisdom, which is a person known as you. May we hunger and thirst after the realities. May we live accordingly. Let us not just gain facts and data and information and just have this knowledge, but, Lord, may that knowledge turn into wisdom as it is applied into day-by-day living. And, Lord, we just surrender ourselves afresh to you and ask that your life would just be exhibited on a whole new level in our lives. May our love for you just increase, and may our understanding for you only deepen. What a phenomenal reality we have as Christians. Thank you. Oh, we love you. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.